My name is Danae Reed, and I want to welcome you to the part of life where mothers do not physically, emotionally, or mentally exist. Welcome to Damn Mom, Really? Which is a podcast that seeks to shed light on grief and open up a conversation about a topic that is often avoided. Again, this is a space for people who have either experienced the loss of a mother or a mother figure, and I am so excited to fellowship with you guys. The contents of these episodes is up to the discretion of both my guests and myself, and I can trust that they are telling the truth just as much as I am as it feels right for them. Also noting that the subject matter can potentially be heavy or triggering we have included a six minute cool down meditation by Liliana Rasmussen at the end of this episode for your pleasure and this soundscape is brought to you by Scott Reed Jr. It's your girl, Danae, and I'm here with my podcast, Damn Mom, Really? A podcast that everybody wants to listen to and nobody wants to be on. It's a beautiful day today, and as always, I have an amazing guest here with me. As always, y'all know I like to keep it real, and today I'm really excited to have Kevin on because I'm looking for more men to be on the show. And when Kevin said that he was interested in coming on and talking about his experience with grieving his mother, I just knew that I had to have him on. He also goes by Smiley for a really great reason. Y'all are here when he starts talking. His voice is just so cheerful. So without further ado, Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm just so happy to be here. And uh, thank you for, for hearing my story or for letting me speak on your podcast. It's amazing what you're doing. And I'm just glad to be here to share. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that, Kevin. But first things first, let's get to know you a little bit better. Let us know who Kevin is. Kevin is an investor, a father, and a person who just loves life. So I, I would say I'm an investor because I'm, I'm, interested in, I'm interested in stocks, bonds, real estate, private equity. And over the years, I've had a couple properties, had a couple equity stocks, such as Apple, Microsoft. My title is, my official job is, I'm the industry director. I'm a director of solutions engineers. So... What that means is we sell software to food companies like Tyson, Driscoll, Slaughterhouses, Whole Food. You're in New York, so Wegmans, we're trying to get their business. So what I do is I just go around and try to add value by selling my, selling my software to companies that produce food. And then in my personal life, what I do is I, I got a podcast as well, and then also I am a part of a board here in Tampa, Tampa Heights Junior Civic Association, where we inspire and motivate young minds from K through college. We have college tours and send them about their ways and have different programs so they could become productive citizens in our community. So that's a little bit about me, I think. Yes, yes. so you're busy. You're a busy man. Busy. Yeah, I like it because it keeps me going. And then like before then, I wrote a couple books. I used to travel all around the world with the software. I was selling medical device and pharmaceutical software. So I published a couple little books on Amazon. Once again, when I was traveling and just trying to stay out of trouble, I stay in a hotel room and crank out some content. And so that's all it is. I just try to create my own reality if I can. Yeah. That's beautiful. So Kevin, the other day we talked and you had shared with me that you haven't really grieved your mother fully. And I want to talk about a little bit about that. But I also want to ask if you think that the fact that you like to stay busy, do you think that that's at all tied to 
kind of you running from the grief you might have felt as a result of losing your mom? Wow, that's a really good question. I don't really, I was busy before she moved on and my, we, my daughter was at the time six or five. It was, well, it was okay. 10 years ago. She's 15, so it was five. She died in 2020, 2013. She had health issues, cancer, and lung disease, all this other challenges. And my daughter was small, so she called her Mama Jay. My mother's name was Jackie. So when she, we were at the funeral, and I just said, oh, Mama Jay, you have to sleep to go to heaven. So we were ex trying to explain to a young mind what happened. And what I mentioned is that I was busy before then because I was always traveling all over the place, but I would always come back home. And it was funny back in the day, we, I moved my mother to Florida. It was 19, actually it was 1999. And I told her, I said, mom, I'm moving to uh, Florida in 2000. And she's like, what about me? And I said, what about you? She's like, I want to go. I was like, okay. So back then there was no internet. 2000, 99, 2000. So there was these old maps from AAA. So I had a AAA map. We put it on the dining room table. And I said, okay, mom, I pick Florida. You pick the city. So she's staring at the, she wore glasses like me, big thick glasses. And she's looking at the state. And uh, she picked Tampa. And I said, why you pick Tampa? She said, it's in the middle. And I'm staring and I'm like, dude, logic, estrogen logic. And I'm like, Orlando's in the middle. How is Tampa in the middle of Florida? And she says, it's it's in the middle near the water. I'm like, oh, okay. So I didn't care where we lived. Since she said she wanted to come and I just told her, yes, We I let her pick the city and she picked Tampa. So we've been here since 2000. And so, yeah, but I was always busy and she worked at Walmart as a greeter. And she says, you don't live with your son. And she's like, yes, I do. She's like, no. You live by yourself and your son visits you every two weeks because I was working international then. I was two weeks in Brazil, two weeks in France, two weeks in wow. Malaysia. So I would go around the world. And that was for about four years straight. So she's they're like teasing her. You live by yourself and you have a son that visits you twice a month. So, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds like you guys had a really, or have, I like to speak in the present tense. It sounds like you guys have a really great relationship. We did. You know what the funny thing is? I went from being her son and I went off to boarding school when I was 13, 14. And then I go away. I live in Wisconsin, live in New Hampshire, lived in Los Angeles. And I come back and I was a man. I was like 27. So my mom was like my sister. And oh, wow. I, it was my brother and I, I have an older brother. My mother had two boys and I was the baby and he's about 20 months older than I am. And we called her Jackie because I thought my grandmother was my mother up until really? I think I was six. Yeah, I thought my grandmother, everyone was grandma. And, and, and then my mother got married and I was like, why we got to go with her? And that's when wow. it was like an epiphany moment that my mother was my mother and not my big sister. It was just so weird to me back then. And, but as an adult, she was just like my sister and we got along so well and, and I miss her so much. I remember I, I'm a reader. I didn't, my mother used to party, go out. Everyone knew her. She knew everybody here in Tampa. And once we were at the club here in Tampa, it, it was over by the, by the airport. And this lady looks at me, she looks at my mom, she looks at me. Then she says, you brought your mom to the club? 
And I said, my mom brought me to the club. <laughs> so I was like, no, I don't even go to clubs. She invited me to go. And I was like, I go out with my mom because I'm like a homebody. So it was just like the sister I never had was my mom. And I miss her so, so much. So, so do you think that when you lost her, do you think that it felt like you lost a mother? Did it feel like you lost a sister? Or did it feel like you missed, you know, or lost components of both? Well, you know what? It feels like I. she was such, the doctor, she was so sickly. The doctor told her in May that she only had about four more months to live. And she had COPD, a whole bunch of stuff. My mother lived a hard life. And, and I mean, she was a drinker, a smoker, all that stuff. And she wouldn't she wouldn't stop smoking cigarettes up until September. And I was like, mom, you got to stop. We can't get you this chemo and all this stuff if you continue to smoke and oxygen. So finally she stopped smoking. But I feel like um, when she transitioned, it was like a peaceful moment because she literally started to wither away. Meaning from, I would say a year before she passed, she passed in January and around April, she started losing weight and she just started to lose herself and and it was hard watching her suffer but the one thing that that stuck with me or stick with me the most is she was we were raised in the church so my Mm -hmm. grandmother my family when she was she when she was about to transition she was in the hospital and she couldn't move but she could talk so she had her phone and she's like Call my brother, which was my uncle. He has he died, I think, in 2018, her, her younger brother. She wow. called him up, and or I call him, and she's like, you better be good, and blah, 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 blah. I ain't going to be here. And then she hangs up. Then she had me call her sister. Then she had me call her girlfriend. And I'm like, Ma, I, I can't do this. She's like, yes, you can. Call the next person. She was always bossy. So I was like, what am I going to do without you? And she's like, you're going to be okay. I was like, no, I've never been here without you. And she's like, well, I'm going to go see my grandmother, my grandfather, and my aunties. And I was like, you had aunties? You had a grandma? Because when I came, it was all about me. I didn't even know she had a life before I came. And she was so at peace with transitioning and excited to go see her mother that it literally, that conversation removed all fear of death from me. Because when I would travel, I'm like, this plane goes down, I'm going to die. You know, you get these crazy thoughts. But she was so non-afraid of death that that just brought a certain certain calm to me. Because now I'm like, well, when I move on, I'm going to see her and meet her grandfather that I never met and her aunties that I've never met. So she gave me a a sense of calm. That'll be a, a really special moment. I know for me, my mom passed suddenly, so we weren't able to have that conversation. But... I just remember one of the first things that I thought after I freaked out, I think that my perception of death changed almost instantly, right? Because it is before that, for me, it was something that I was terrified of. It was like, okay, if, like you said, if the plane goes down, I'm going to die. And like, just being afraid Mm -hmm. of that sort of unknown, but knowing somebody who did it. And I think that my mom died very eloquently. She passed very eloquently. You know, she's eloquent in death. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, it makes it something that I'm not scared of either. But I think that that's something that people don't understand. And it kind of sounds a little trippy to them, right? When you say, I'm not scared of dying, people think that there's something wrong with you. But it's like, no, it's just... The person that I love the most did it already, though. Like, they did it, and they're fine. I believe that they're fine. And 
So, you know, I'm, I'm fine too. Exactly. And you know what? I, I remember when we were kids, my brother and I, I think I was eight or nine and she was going on a trip to Bahamas or somewhere in the Caribbean and, and we couldn't go. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it was fair. I was like, why is she going without us? And then she comes back with all these toys or whatever from souvenirs for us. We're excited. And I had that feeling like, why are you going to heaven? And I'm still here. And then I was just like, okay, it's not my turn yet to go to heaven. So my grandmother used to say, when God calls me home, I'm going home. And so we've always talked about going home to heaven. So that kind of made it more of like a transition, Uh, not a celebration like in New Orleans, but it's like, well, I remember my grandmother, she passed in 89 and she had cancer as well. She was a smoker. And of course, I don't smoke or drink or do anything because I vicariously watch their lives. But I'm like, you know, they have always said, well, I'm going home. I'm going here. And my my grandmother was the baby of seven. So she was the last one to pass on. And she was calm with dying, too. I mean, no no one had any fear. They just like, well, I believe in God. They've been going to God, the church all their lives. And they strongly believe that they're going home. They're going to see Jesus, going to see the Lord. And my mother kept that faith with her all the way to the last breath. So that gave me a sense of calm, which is which is comforting sometimes. So, yeah. but I still wish she was here. I'm like, and then she left me, I'm 56. She left me at 46. So I felt yeah. like, but the one thing I felt like is um, my brother at the time was in the air force and he lived in Hawaii. So okay. I sent him to sent her to Hawaii. And then she Jedi mind tricked me. It's like, well, he's working during the day. I can't go by myself. Send me and my sister. So then I would send her and her sister. To Hawaii, and then when she wanted to go to Germany, wherever she wanted to go, I would send her and her girlfriend or whoever was her friend at that time. I wouldn't send her by herself because she's like, Well, what am I gonna do there? So she Jedi mind tricked me. So whenever I sent her somewhere, I sent her on a cruise, it was her and her cousins. And she's like, Well, you just send us and you stay at home. I'm like, Okay, so I would just send her places so she could enjoy life and see different things. That's so you're a great son. That you're you're a great son is what you're saying. <laughs> I try my best. You know what? I she was she was there for me when she didn't have to be. And I just felt like I didn't feel like I owed her. I felt like I just I, I was so I was talking to Andre, but the, the co-host on the podcast once, and I read this article and it was on LinkedIn. And he's this lady out of Atlanta, she raised five daughters, sent all of them through college. And the father divorced her when the kids were in middle school, whatever, sent all her kids to college. They're doing very well. So one of the daughters wrote about how she's successful, her and her husband, they make a lot of money, they're millionaires, whatever. And she mm-hmm. and her mother had to ask her for the light bill or the gas bill while she's sitting in there freezing in Atlanta. And I'm like, why don't you just take care of your mama? What do you mean? She has to ask. She said five of y'all through college, y'all can send 200 a month. And I was like, I felt so bad. Then I shared it with my friend. And I'm like, how can you let your mother endure such, take her to your house? Or I don't know. I would just felt so mad. I was like, I wish my mother was here to take whatever money I had. And here you have your mother. She did all these sacrifices. And you're not even treating her like the queen that she is. And I just, I wanted to write her mother. I was just so annoyed. <laughs> so I, it, it just... 
it's just sad. I mean, I, I don't understand it how when when you I think the greatest losses you can have is the loss of a parent and a loss of a child. You endure yeah. those then the rest is I mean, once again, those are the two hardest and because mm-hmm. yeah. you get a hole in your heart. It never fills up. It's just like the, your life just gets bigger and the hole seems smaller, but it's always yeah. there. It's not going away. Yeah. It's like an absence. That's real. And, you know, to your point, I felt that a lot because I'm really close to my mom. So it always bothered me when people would treat their moms poorly or they weren't kind to their moms or whatever. But now seeing that really just burns me up because I'm just like, do you not understand what I would give to have my mom? And I promise I would treat her so much better than how you're treating your mom right now. So I've definitely been there a lot. Like, you know, and it's only been 10 months for me, but I've been there more times than I can count. Like just looking at people sideways, like do you not understand how lucky you are? Yeah, how blessed you are. And, and you know, the time that you get back, you don't get that time back ever. Mm-hmm. It's just like you, you need to embrace and no one loves you more than your mother. I mean, yeah. and, and your father, I mean, they, they're parents, put it that way. Mm-hmm. But I remember I was in, I was in Los Angeles. It was 92. And my mother called and was like, I need you to buy me a house because she needed a place to stay. And I was like, I can't afford a house. And I'm a little upset. I'm like, why is she putting all that on me? I'm the youngest. Call my brother. I mean, he was in the Air Force, but I didn't realize they didn't make any money. So then I looked up, but there was no internet. I looked it up. I called the real estate person. He was like, oh, the house is only like 20 grand. I was like, 20 grand? So I bought it on a credit card. But the thing that got me over was I talked to this older black man in in Los Angeles. I don't even know who he was. He saw me sitting there looking dejected. He's like, what's wrong, young man? I said, well, my mother just called me from Pittsburgh. She wants me to buy her a house. I don't know how am I supposed to buy her a house. And he said, you know what? As long as your mother has a house, you have a house. Because your mother, regardless of what you do, she's going to always take you home. And I took that in 91. I bought my mom a house. And then whenever I moved down here, we were in an apartment for a year. I met the real estate dude. I said, go out with her, find a house she wants. And when you find it, come back to me, I'll pay for it. So I was like, I always anchored my mom because as long as she had a house, I could gallivant around the world and still come back home because mom is home. Wherever she was, that was home. And so... Yeah, that was that was crazy. And so. so now that your mom has transitioned and she's transitioned, you know, quite some time ago, it's been 10 years. How do you define home now? If you find home in your mom and you know that your mom is always going to be home, how do you define that word now? You know, it's with my family, my daughter, my wife, and then my brother. You know, it, it's so weird how he's an older brother and he had his relationship with our mom. But we became closer. It's almost like she said, you two fools, y'all better get together because we would talk every now and then. And he retired from the Air Force and he moved to Tampa. He lives 20 miles away from me. I see him at least four or five times a month before he used to come. I work from home. He was coming during the day, knocking on the door. I'm like, dude, I'm working from home. So he's always around. He's retired. And he and I got really, really close because we were, we grew up together, but I left at 13 and he was still home. Then when I came out of boarding school, I went to college and he went into the military. So we have never been in the same city since 81 and wow. he moved here in 2021. So 
he helped fill that void because I, I, every now and then he has his stories with our mom. He would say, yeah, when you sit her over here and you sit our aunt with her, man, they was acting up and doing all this stuff. So he has stories with her. And then I sent her to Germany with him. And so he had these moments, but she actually lived with me for 13 years. And then when I was in Pittsburgh, I moved home from 93 to 2000. We were literally two blocks away because I was like, I bought her a house. I stayed in the basement. Then I moved to the attic. Then I was like, all right, I'm old enough. I need to get my own crib. So I bought a crib two two blocks away. And so she's always been with me. And I was like, man. So I was like, yeah, she's been with me longer. He's like, shut up. I was first. I was like, but if you would have came out right, she would have stopped. But she (laughs) she had to stop with me because she's like, I can't do no better. And he's like, shut up. (laughs) So we really got closer, I would say, brothers. We we got closer because of that. I'm glad. I'm glad that that happened. And I feel like me and my brother were also close, but now we're also close in a different way, too. I'm the older sibling, so I resent you a little bit for that whole, you know, (laughs) you can write, you sound good, I'm I say that my mom needed one of each, and that's what she got, so. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. We're going to go with that, but like I said, it's earlier, it sounds like you and your mom's lives are just so linked, and I think that is so beautiful. You mentioned to me before that you haven't really had the time to griever you just haven't really grieved her in general why do you think that is you know it's it's like i'm afraid because i feel like if i start crying i won't stop and and you know what the weird thing is well i the technical answer i haven't cried at her for her but one of my close friends here in florida it was i i don't know i didn't i don't even know what happened to me his mother died in 2015 and that was the first time so my mother my buddy's mother's died nine months before my mom but hers was sudden whereas my mother was a decline and and our families were close we took our parents on a cruise together with the family so we were that close over the years and when his mother died it was sudden so i flew out there and all that stuff and that was emotional but then when my mother died it was more gradual but it was still nine months after his mom but my buddy here in Tampa, his mother passed away in 2015 and I'm at the funeral and I started bawling and people thought I never met his mom. And I just felt like I, I cried because I knew the pain that my friend was getting ready to endure that first night alone, the first month, the first holiday, the first Thanksgiving where she does all the cooking and mad that you don't clean up because you get the itis and you got to sleep before you clean up and she yelling. And I cried so much at his funeral. People came over consoling me as if I knew her. I I didn't even know her. And it was just like, so now when I go to other of my friends, because a few others mothers have passed, I get more emotional at their passing because I I know what they're getting ready to endure. But I, I don't think I've sat down and said, all right, let me take my mom and just cry for her. And, and and one of my friends, she said it when her mother passed in 2006 or seven, it was 2012. She's like, I still haven't grieved my mom. And I'm like, how is that possible? I couldn't understand it. And now I understand it. And I think young people, when you got things to do, it keeps you going. Because my daughter, she's a 16, she's 15, you ready to have her 16th birthday party. You got activities. So you don't get a chance to sit down because you're so busy and you're doing things. But if I ever slow down, I think that's when it's going to get me. <laughs> so I stay busy. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have that cry yet. Cause 
I don't know if I could stop. I would have to stop eventually, but I don't know. I mean, the thing is, the interesting thing is it sounds like you grieve in a lot of ways, just not the most obvious way, which is crying. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess I want to touch a little bit more on that about the whole idea of not grieving yet and not being able to stop crying. What is that scenario or what does that scene look like for you that you might be scared of? I could tell you it's, you know what, the last time I had a cry like this and I was 1989, my grandmother passed and she was the first one like. My grandfather wasn't in our lives. My grandfather, who I'm like, I had two grandfathers. One grandfather, when he passed in 81, I was still young and we had cousins. It seemed like a big reunion. All the kids are there. We're playing. But when my grandmother passed in 89, I think I was 22 or something. And when she, I'm sitting in the front row and I see her in the casket and everything's cool. But as soon as they shut the lid, I lost it. I And it was like you see in the Eddie Murphy movies or Medea movies where you just get weak and you're like, man, they acting. I had one of those cries and, and I just got weak. I slumped down and it was just the finality of closing the cassette just took me to a place where I'm afraid to go. And then my brother and then uncles, they came over trying to console me and I just couldn't stand. And it was just like, I think I cried for a bit. 35 minutes and even when my father passed he passed a year before my mother but that was different once again you're a little older and you know he said some tears i said some words at his funeral it was a little different but when my grandmother passed mother figure all that stuff i just couldn't stop it was i was inconsolable i couldn't see i couldn't breathe and it was so, so now when i see people at these funerals i'm like before I thought they was acting, but once you encounter something like that, you're like, you're not acting. That's raw emotion. That's raw, pure love. That's, mm -hmm. that's screaming. Like, how can you do this God? And you can't be mad at God, although you want to be mad at God. And you know, that's why I'm afraid to start. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to see that dude again. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just I ignore it. Say, yeah. I understand that. I will say that being overcome with that level of emotion is something that I experienced. I remember being at my mom's celebration of life. And to me, it's still very, it still feels like all of this is a very out of body experience. But I remember just seeing the casket and seeing her picture and just being like, what the hell just happened? And I felt like I couldn't, like right before I like had a panic attack and I was like, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. This isn't really happening. This isn't really my life. And I, I I reflect the sentiment so deeply of like something really takes over your body that you cannot control. And I so I understand, you know, the fear of that. I had no idea what that looked like. I had never really um, endured a, a, you know, my grandfather had passed, but we weren't really close. I was 15 when he passed. So, you know, it was a lot different. And I, I had never endured something like the way that I felt for my mom. And I know that it's rooted in a love that is inexplainable and, and probably can't be defined in words, but I remember feeling like, oh, I never want to feel this heavily about anything ever again. So I, I feel you and, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 11 months and uh, I feel like I've kind of am coming out of a dark space, but like for me, it's been almost a year and it, I'm finally getting to a space where I can see the light. So 
I agree. And you know, it's funny because, yeah, when you see people grieve and you see them hooting and hollering and doing all that and falling out, it does seem like they're kind of making a spectacle over themselves. But again, you get it. And there's certain things now that I understand, right? So, like, I remember my mom has this photo album and in the back of it there's a piece of there's a couple pieces of her grandmother's hair and her grandmother's comb and i remember thinking like the first time i saw it years ago like that is so strange that is like why would anybody want to keep somebody's hair but a couple weeks ago i was looking through my mom's things i found one of her brushes with her hair on it and i was like wow i get it now like i i understand and so i think it ties into the totality of what we're talking about right it's like grief manifests itself in a way that you've seen but don't understand until you actually live that experience exactly and 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 she i remember when i like the cry i had before my friend she had this little maltese dog angel and she took this little dog everywhere and and it's and animals can feel because when she passed angel was sad and then about 15 months later someone stole angel and I was obsessive. I was going around the neighborhood with the signs, going to the dog catchers. And it was, and of course, I've never found Angel. And then some of my crazy friends are like, see, you done lost your mama dog. She going to get you. She going to haunt you. Because my mother loved this dog. I mean, it was no bigger. It was like six pounds wet. And she would carry it everywhere. And and then she even told me when she was, she was like, take care of my dog when she was making the phone calls. She was like, you better take your angel. I was like, I got angel. And then I lost angel. <laughs> I felt so bad. I was like, mom, I was like, oh. So, you know, it's just certain things. And in, in, when your spirit, when you love someone to your core, you, you can't control the emotions. And when it comes out, it's, it's a purging. That's a cleansing that says, okay, we need to turn this over to God. We need to let this go. But it got to come out. And if not, you you just don't grieve until it does. So I don't know. Yeah, so I know that purging feels. Yeah, that purging feels extremely violent, I will say. Mm-hmm. Very volatile. And it definitely takes over a lot of your energy. And it takes over a lot of your body. Not to scare you out of what you, you know, are already anticipating. But <laughs> yeah, I, I can 100% understand why somebody would try to kind of put that off as long as they possibly could but you know I I am curious though because you lost your mom in your mid-40s I lost my mom or was it early 40s mid-40s 46 10 years ago this year Jen oh wow wow Wow. And we're going to talk about that too. Um, But yeah, so I'm curious to know how we differ in that way. I lost my mom at 26. You lost your mom at 46. And so I I guess I kind of want to get into the specifics of what you felt like you lost, right? Because for me, I'm like, oh, there was so much more guidance I needed. There was so much more mothering I needed. You know, my generation is a lot less mature than your generation was at 26, right? There's a lot more that I feel like I needed. Like, I still felt like my mom was kind of my lifeline. So I want to know from your perspective, as somebody who lost their mom at 46, what do you feel like you lost in your mom? I lost, I was so enamored with the relationship my daughter was having with her mama jay her grandmother mm-hmm. and she babe my grand my mother babied my daughter and she had two boys so she never had a girl so right. playing in her hair and having a a, a, a granddaughter was just so ha- she was so happy about that because she had us two not had boys you know so 
they were so they would dress up together on Easter. She'd take her to church and they was so I I feel like I lost my daughter's ability to have a lot of memories with my mother because she died when she was only five. I think I lost and then they're like we would get sad when they would have grandparents day at her fourth grade, fifth grade, and there was no grandma there, but we would have some friends in the neighborhood. I, one of my friends, my mother's girlfriend, she just passed, I want to say 2022. She would stand in as a surrogate grandmother and represent my daughter whenever she needed grandpa, grandparents day, she would go and sit in as a grandma. So things like that she's missed. Then stories that she could have, that's how women, my, my, grand, my mother was a really good cook. My grandmother was an excellent cook. And I didn't know my mother could cook till she moved to Tampa with me because grandma did everything. And then even when I lived with her, I was going out dating and I was in the home eating. And when we come down here, we started to perform our own traditions. She would do Thanksgiving, Christmas. And my grandmother was good at everything, pies, cakes, pastries, anything. Wow. My mother was really good at cakes. She didn't do in pies. So I missed my daughter learning all those Grandma's secret recipes, all those. She made some mean fried chicken and okra and all this stuff. And she wouldn't, she didn't even use recipes. Everything was in her head. She was just throwing stuff together. And and so we miss the food and just the stories. And I I met people, I'll meet people. It's like yesterday, there was a guy on LinkedIn and I knew his, I grew up in the church and I knew his parents. And he posted Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, he's about, he's about 40. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, you don't remember me, but I know your father, blah, blah, blah. He's like, Smiley, I remember you, your mother, blah, 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 blah. He's like, yeah, you were gone, but your mother and your brother, when they came back, I know them. I know who you are. And I was like, oh, I just didn't know he remembered me. And so he, you know, he, I hear different people saying, oh, yeah, your mother did this and my, your mother was here. And so that, that brings her back to life to me when I go back home. I'm glad that you're able to have have that moment. Now, again, at the time that you're grieving your mom, you're already very much established as an adult, what I consider to be established, right? You have a family and everything. And so dealing with your full-time job, having your daughter who's so tied to your mom as well and trying to be a parent and a, a partner through all of your grief, like what was that moment or experience like for you? And is that something that you've recovered from? I think the the child, my the, the kid made it easier because they don't understand. They're like, oh, she's sleeping. She's in heaven now. And young people, they're not jaded by society. Oh, I saw Mama J. So maybe she had a dream or they see, they say kids see angels. So maybe she saw Mama J. But having her and her getting into her ballet, gymnastics, you're you're taking that energy and putting into a new life and trying to build up. So I think other young people help ease the pain because they, they have to have stuff when they're five, you got to get up and feed them. You got to do this. You got to do that. It doesn't stop. Whereas I have another friend, her mother passed and she was 50. She went into a full blown depression because she doesn't have any kids. She's not married. She's in her home all alone and she has no, she's financially secure. So she doesn't have to work. So she doesn't. And she just sits there and wallow in her grief. Whereas I told her, I was like, well, if you had a kid or you had someone, even get you a dog, something dependent upon you, 
you got to get up and do things. They force you to to, to live because your mother would want you to live. She wants you to be the shining light that she she passed the baton. She wants you to live. She doesn't want you to wallow in her. That's what I believe my mom wanted. So I'm just trying to continue to keep the light going and take it like that. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. So um, you're coming up on the 10-year anniversary. How do you feel about it? It passed in January. So my brother was here. Yeah, it was. she died January 3rd in 2013. So my brother... My brother was here and, you know, he's, he's military. And so we were, we were talking about this not long ago because when she was in the hospital, we go in there and it's like, beep, 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 beep. And he's all robotic. He goes up to her and he shuts her eyes and it was just automatic. He's military air force retired. And I told him he did that. He's like, you know what? I, it was reflex. I didn't even realize I did it. And I was like, dude. And so we talked about that and, with him being here, it's really been amazing. And here's here's another part. I bought another house while she was here, and I had a little wing for her. And she had all of her stuff. And I didn't put it in storage because we didn't know she was going to die. I didn't know she was going to die that soon. But what happened was at all her stuff, and every Thanksgiving through Christmas, I would take one or two of her boxes. She had like 20 of them, totes. And I go okay. through them. 20 19 i go through one of her boxes which was her last box which was all her church stuff where all her obituaries all of her church birth certificates uh-huh. i found something and at that time i didn't know my biological father i knew the guy who raised me as my father and i go through the church stuff and i found out that i had three younger siblings an wow. older sister and a bio dad who lives in new york wow. so it was just all this, when I got to the last box and my friends were like, well, if you would have gone through her church stuff first, you would have found these guys. And, and it was just crazy. And so now I have a relationship with my new, I call them my bio brothers. I got three bio brothers, one in New York, one in Japan, one in DC. And wow. this past Christmas, December 21st, I flew to New York and finally met my biological father. And mm-hmm. It's just, you know, just, I feel like she gave that to me. It was like, okay, go and find your, cause she knew where these people were. I didn't know. She never talked about them. I didn't even yeah. know they existed, but she had her paperwork and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, who are these people? And then they all look like me. I look like them. And so it's like here. And now my brother is, my brother met my new brothers and we all brothers and we all just get <laughs> along. And it's just, and I feel like that was all of her guidance. I felt like she yeah. said, when you're ready to meet them, I'll expose you to them. Because I could have easily just throw all her stuff away. But oh, yeah. every year, I would just systematically go through her purging. Now I don't have anything of hers because it, it took me from 2013 to 2020 to get through the last box. So Wow. It's a seven-year wow. purge. And then how, how do you feel, you know, on the other side of that now there's a lot of people in your family now that you didn't know about that you now have how did you feel about that i feel like you know it was a blessing because it's like a new set of family members it's just finding especially the airy part is they look like me i look like them and we have this app called polo so we started speaking on polo and my sister she lives in orlando i visit her like four or five times and i have nieces now and nephews and 
my daughter has aunties and uncles more than just one and so it's just in cousins she has a lot of cousins now that she didn't have so i feel like she blessed me by everyone was going through the pandemic and everything was hard and god gave me a whole new family during the pandemic so i give her credit for that that's beautiful i'm happy that she was able to give you a gift beyond this physical space. It's something that definitely sounds like it opened your life up a a lot. So just going back to the idea of being fearful of grieving and what that process looks like, do you think that because it's not something that you've really dealt with fully, are you afraid of losing again? Or is that something that you don't necessarily think about? I'm just afraid. I'm not afraid of losing because I... I think I'm afraid of that person that was at the funeral because I'm, I, I consider myself a mild mannered person and, and I, I don't usually put myself in situations where I can't control myself. That's why I don't do drugs or any of that stuff. But when you're inconsolable because of crying and grief and you just can't stand and you're weak, I'm afraid of that guy visiting me again. And I know he's coming, but I just don't want to embrace him because I'm afraid of that 30 minutes, maybe that was 30 for my grandmother. Maybe it'll be 15, maybe it'll be an hour. Maybe it'll be two hours. I'm just afraid of of that dude visiting me. And I know he's coming. It's like, you know, he's coming. And that's, that's really what it is. It's just, and and I, you know, I travel and I was like, well, maybe one of these days when my daughter's in college, I'll take a trip to Antigua somewhere and just sit on a beach. And, And you know what? I haven't had a drink since 1989. September of 89 was my last time drinking alcohol. However, that, I want to say 2013 June, September, that was my first birthday. I was born September 26th. That was my first birthday I could ever without her. I looked at the bottle. I got this tea right here. I looked at a bottle and I just stared at it. And and I don't drink because I, I, I didn't know how to do things in moderation. And I was just like, I can either be an alcoholic or, or don't drink at all. And I just said, I stared at the bottle and I stared at it and I I thought about drinking it and, and then whatever strength I had, I didn't do it. And I feel like, yeah, if I had been, I'd have broke my record from 89 to 2013, where I had zero alcohol and I'd have had it. But then I said, you know what? I got the strength not to do it. And now I think whenever the grieving starts. I feel like I'm going to feel like I want to take that bottle again, but I don't want to, I don't, I need the, the courage to embrace the grief without turning to another source. And yeah, yeah. I think I'll be ready for that. Well, I think it, there's something special about not fearing loss, right? Because it's so much a part of our lives. And so, you know, I'm happy that you're not inundated with this fear of grief compounded with the fear of loss because the two together just don't make for a great situation. I I didn't really drink before, but I, you know, would drink sometimes with friends, but I recently gave up all alcohol and everything too. And I feel pretty great. I don't think that I, I need it or anything. So we are on the same shit with that, the same boat with that one, Kevin. But I am about to let you go. This has been so lovely. You're just, your spirit is so brilliant and bright and i I just appreciate you so much for taking the time out to talk to me today about your experience and it's been great getting to know you a little bit better but before i let you go i just wanted to give you the space to say anything that we might not have touched on if there's anything i didn't say that you want to say i'd love to give you the space well you know i just want to thank you for what you're doing because this is the longest i've talked about my mom 
since she's passed because my brother and I will sit there. We'll say, yeah, she made this on Christmas. Or remember, she beat you because you did that. Then we laugh. It's like three minutes and it's done. Whereas I think it's therapeutic. And when I found your podcast, I just felt like I related to so many people. And as I mentioned, I just want to hug your grandmother. So I, she just, I feel like I, she, I feel like I know her and her words were so succinct and concise and appropriate. And I, and then even there are other guests that you had on there. I just feel like a piece of me know them. So what you're doing is very therapeutic and it's inspirational and your light is going to transcend the world because everyone has or will experience what we've experienced. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Kevin, for that lovely outro. I definitely cannot top you. So I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to say bye to y'all and that I'll see y'all in 10 days. Y'all, this has been a great conversation with me and my guy, Kevin Smiley. So uh, stay tuned for this episode. Again, this is Danae with Damn Mom, Really? I'll see y'all later. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review and a comment. It's super, super helpful to us. And as promised, there's a relaxing cool down slash guided meditation by Liliana Rasmussen coming up in five, four, three, two. Welcome to this guided meditation session to create a safe place for you. Chronic pain can be very hard to handle, but many times when we create a mental image of our suffering, we tend to aggravate this pain, thus increasing it. Then every time we feel the sensation, we will have a negative thought attached to it on a conscious and subconscious level. So what this meditation will teach you are techniques to change the mental image that has been created from this pain, and instead implement a peaceful association with pleasant visualizations that create a warmer bonding between you and your body's sensations. This allows you to accept and allow, instead of fight and push away. Make sure you're in a very comfortable position. Sit down or lay down if that feels good for you, however you need to position yourself so that none of your muscles are activated or tense. Every part of your body can rest and feel completely relaxed during this meditation. Begin by taking five deep breaths to relax even more. One, full breath in and let it go. Two, fully inhale and exhale. Three, breathe in as much as you can and let it go, feeling a wave of relaxation come over you. Four, inhale deeply and exhale, feeling invigorated. Five, last one, fully inhale and exhale, feeling any tension loosen up and your body feeling extremely relaxed. Good. And just allow your breath to slow and flow naturally now. Don't try to change anything about it. Just notice the calmness that these five breaths gifted you. Notice how your body breathes without you doing anything at all. Begin to feel any sensations that you associate with your pain. Bring them into your awareness and allow these feelings to multiply. You're completely safe and secure. It's okay to allow these sensations to arise. They will not harm you. Put all of your focus on these areas, really feel their exact position and the quality of the sensations. What's the pain like for you? Is it stinging, tingling, or burning? Perhaps it's like something else. In your mind, describe every detail and then sit with it. Be entirely with it while it presents itself. Don't do anything about it except feel it. Allow the sensations to grow and don't stop them, just see what they do. 
Notice the details of changes the sensations make. Good. You're doing so well. Now switch your focus and bring into your mind's eye a visual of a place you love to go or have been to that is very serene and peaceful for you. It could be an imaginary place, like on top of a gorgeous mountain, or somewhere you frequently go, like a nearby nature path. Your favorite place could be as simple as your warm, cozy bed next to a loved one. Wherever this place is for you, see it vividly right now. Start by visualizing all the physical aspects of this place. Where are you? What do you see when you look up? If you're outside, it could be the sky. If you're in a safe room somewhere, it could be the ceiling. Notice everything you see when you look up. Now look down and at your feet. What does the ground look like below you? Gaze all around this favorite place of yours, making the colors bright and vivid. Make out even more details now, like the leaves on the trees and plants, or the things that are placed around the room. Do you notice any patterns anywhere? They could be patterns in nature, like the way things grow, or the patterns of fabrics and objects in a room. Notice every pattern you can find in great detail. The more details you can imagine, the better. How dark or light out is it? What time of the day do you think it is? And make a judgment about the placement of the sun in the sky. Which way is the light of the sun coming into your imagination? Look at all of the beautiful things that make this place so enjoyable for you. Use your visual creativity of this place for the next several moments. Nice. Now you are going to bring about the sensations this beautiful spot offers. Start by tapping your feet on the ground. Is the surface hard or soft? Feel the ground below you here with your feet, noticing anything you can about it. Become aware of the temperature in this place. Is it cool or warm or hot? Is there a breeze blowing or is the air calm and still? Can you feel the sun on your skin? Sit with these sensations for a few moments and enjoy them. Are there any smells here? If you're imagining the beach, maybe you can smell the salty air, or if you're in a forest, the smell of nature. Just notice how your sense of smell can create sensations of aromas for you when you put your mind to it. What about sounds? Bring fully into this experience any sounds that surround you here. Perhaps you hear a loved one nearby. Perhaps you're alone and you can hear the sounds that nature creates for you. Vividly hear any sounds in this experience. Sit with these senses activated for a few moments and begin to interact with your environment. Great. To relax even further, become aware of what you're doing here. Are you sitting down and relaxing or walking around and exploring? Are you doing exactly what you love and want to do? See yourself being completely relaxed and happy here. There's no need to do anything here but relax and enjoy it. Be assured that this place is always here for you to keep you safe if you need to flee from pain. Take another slow and deep breath in. And as you exhale, you feel at complete peace with yourself and all the sensations in your body. As I speak these words to you, you are changing the mental images associated with your pain. Whenever you feel overwhelmed by the sensations in your body, repeat this exercise to accept the pain and change the thoughts associated with it. When you use this technique, you will stop the pain from becoming aggravated and growing stronger. When you vividly visualize a safe and peaceful place in moments of distress, you are slowing down your pulse and blood pressure, creating a peaceful and strong connection to your body and mind. Allow yourself to slowly become aware of your surroundings, and whenever you are ready, open your eyes, ready to go about your day peacefully.